Welcome to Be the Phoenix of Your Own Life, The Feminine Rising. My name is Julie Paulston. I am your host, and I am so absolutely honored that you stopped by. Each week, I'm going to be sharing my own personal journey, and I'm also going to be interviewing some incredible people that will be sharing their journeys as well, in hopes that we can educate, motivate, and inspire you to live the best possible life that you can. So grab your favorite beverage, maybe a snack or two, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Because at the end of the day, this truly is all about you. Welcome back to Being the Phoenix of Your Own Life, The Feminine Rising. My name is Julie. I am the hostess with the mostest. Just kidding. I'm just the host. Okay, maybe I do have the most. Anyways, focus. So I, every week, I say this, and you guys are probably getting really tired of me saying this, but I have the coolest guests in the whole entire world. They show up in my life in the most random, okay, it's not random, it's the universe saying, Julie, you need to have these people in your life but the most random magical ways possible. And my guess this week is the same. I I think I found her on Facebook. I don't even remember how. I think it is from the episode that I recorded with Ginny Burton, um, who, if you guys haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. It's an incredible survivor story of, of overcoming drug addiction and graduating from the University of Washington. And so when my guest reached out, I always go and look at their social stuff. And within two seconds, I could not type fast enough saying, please, please, please be on my podcast. Uh, My guest is Jenna McKay. And like I always say, it sounds like a dating bio when I read it. So I love for my guests to introduce themselves. So Jenna, introduce yourself. What do you do? Who are you? And then I have a question for you. Yes. So um, what I do now is um, train law enforcement and hospital staff um, and other first responders on human trafficking, sex trafficking, and labor trafficking and how to respond to them with victim-centered care. And, And then I do a lot of public speaking, sharing my own story. And then I have a small foundation where we assist Um, victims and set them up with resources that they need. And one of the things that is personally my favorite is providing equine therapy to them, um, which helped me on my own journey as I'm a survivor of human trafficking. So, And yeah, we bonded over the horse thing because my favorite thing in the whole entire world is to just like bury my nose in the neck of a horse and just inhale there's just something magical about the the way that they smell and and if you've never done that I highly suggest you do it it is it is it is magic itself so Jen I have a question for you I ask everybody the same question so we've all been in the ashes we've all been in the shit pit of our lives and what is a time that you were in the ashes of your life and what's an event that forced you to reclaim that divine inner phoenix and rise to reclaim your life and who you are and how has it impacted you since then? Yes. So my life was really interrupted um, when I was 18, 17, 18. I was headed to play college volleyball. I was from a nice family. I had my, could see, you know, I started training at 12 years old and could see where my life was headed. And then this person came into my life and exploited me and trafficked me. And I saw and experience from people, I think some of the worst things that one person can do to another human being. In that, there was no hope. Like 
that year of being trafficked um, just felt like life could never get worse than this. And then every time I thought that, something worse would even happen. And it just felt like more despair. It wasn't until, you know, when I got away from my trafficking situation, you know, I really struggled. And then I kind of moved on with my life. I met somebody, I married, I had a son, I was a military wife, but eventually I did have a breakdown and that's, um, it was six years after being trafficked. And that's where I came out with what really happened to me and started getting help. And then four months later, my husband left and I found myself back in the, like, that felt like despair again, like a rock bottom again. Like now I was a single mom working three jobs, living in an apartment with cockroaches and like, it just felt like, oh my God, how, how is this the purpose of everything over, you know, it's been years of figuring this out, but I've come to a place of being thankful for the things that happened to me. Not that I wish that they happened. I, I wish that it didn't, but it did. And I've learned to accept it, but I truly believe I wouldn't be doing this work and wouldn't be the person that I am if they didn't happen to me. You know, I used to fantasize like, about killing my trafficker and the men that bought and raped me. Like I hated them. And I was so, I had so much anger and it was so exhausting to hold all that anger. And it doesn't excuse their behavior. It doesn't minimize it. It doesn't mean there shouldn't have been justice, but finding a place of forgiving them was so freeing for me. Um, and so healing for me because I recognized that every relationship I was going to in my life, whether it was a romantic relationship or a friendship or whatever, I'd go with my hands up like this, like you stay away from, you can get close, but not too close because I'm not going to let anybody hurt me again. When I finally started the process of forgiving and that healing journey, it just opened me up. You know, I have a son that's 11 now and I'm such a happier, more present mom because I'm free of all that, holding on to all that bitterness and angerness. Wow. So you went through that and came out and then it was six years before you had a breakdown. What do you think, or why do you think it took you so long to finally just crack? Yeah. So when I, I really actually wanted help when I got away, when I left my trafficker, I went to uh, an urgent care and was seeking help. And I showed like every sign, not just of somebody that was being trafficked, but somebody that had experienced a lot of trauma physically and emotionally was just not okay. And nobody really said anything to me and they were all talking around me and nobody was talking to me. Mm. And it just felt like they assumed I was some bad kid, which even if I was like, you know, run away on drugs or whatever, I needed resources, but nobody was offering anything and creating the safe place for me to talk. So I just kind of went, I guess nobody cares. I'll just move on with my life. And so it was really kind of set in stone in my mind. Oh, I'm going to go the rest of my life and never tell anybody what happened to me. You know, I struggled. I, I would push that trauma down. I had PTSD big, like I would have anxiety. I'd have nightmares. I'd have flashbacks, but I just became very good at pushing it down. And then once I married and had my son and stuff, I felt like, okay. And, you know, I moved across the country. I felt like I could really move on with my life. Like I could just cover that up, but it was still coming up. Like it was, you know, I hadn't worked through all of that. And, um, 
when I broke down, you know, I went to an emergency room and said, you know, I don't even, I don't feel suicidal. I don't even feel really depressed. I just had bad things happen to me. And I feel like I need to talk to somebody thinking they'd give me, you know, some kind of different therapist or a psychiatrist. And they described this place. Um, you know, I don't know if you've seen the movie Girl Interrupted. Um, yes. <laughs> right. Like I was like, I am not going there. You're crazy. <laughs> You're like, That's a psycho. No, no, we're not going there. Yeah, I'm good. Thankfully, I had a good nurse because as scary as that place was, I agreed to go and that that's where it all came out. And the way it came out was actually an art therapy. There was a therapist that she had us one day. She said, you know, draw what you're afraid of and you can put it in your binder and keep it to yourself or you can, you know, get up and share it with everybody. And like, I finally had reached the point, you know, there was a suicide attempt right before this. There was, you know, I was just like done. Um, I remember there was a woman there who I had heard some of what things that had happened to her in group therapy, similar to some things that I experienced. She was much older than me and she was like in the corner and she was holding herself and like rocking. And it was like, nobody was there. And I was like, if I don't get this out of me, I'm going to end up like her or dead. like, I don't, I want to live. They said, she said, draw what you're afraid of. And I drew stick figure men. I stood up and it was the first time in six years. And I held up my picture. And I said, when I was 18, I was married to somebody that had men come to our apartment and they raped me and they gave him money for it. And I don't know what that means. I just know that I'm afraid. And I'm, and it was like, the truth will set you free in that psychiatric hospital with barbed wire around it, where I could not leave on my own free will. That was my first experience of freedom. Um, wow. And, uh, and then the healing journey really kind of started there. Yeah. So I think it's really interesting because I was going to ask you what led up to it, but you, you got married at 18 to someone who then trafficked you. I think a lot of people think that this sex trafficking and labor trafficking and all that is that, you know, you're on the street and a pimp picks you up or you meet somebody online and they kidnap you or they leave a baby seat and you get out of your car to see what it is. And then they kidnap you and then you're taken away into a foreign country and, and trafficked. But I think there's so many different avenues that this happens. What was your first clue that things were not what they seemed? Right. And, and that is so true. What you just said, because we have this idea. I grew up, I didn't even know what happened to me. I didn't know the term that what, what I survived was human trafficking until somebody told me, because I grew up with the same movies and TV shows as everybody else, where it's very sensationalized. The white van picks you up, kidnaps you, and they're, you know, taken, you're sold on a boat in another country for a million dollars. While those things do happen, it's very rare what domestic trafficking looks like. And there's over 25 ways that somebody could be trafficked. So Holy I was trapped by a spouse out of my apartment, had no idea he was advertising me online. There was never a beating or a talk like, this is what you're going to do. And this is what, you know, this, these people would, there are people that do this. They buy women online and they show up and they want to rape them and they'll pay for it. And that's what my experience was. And um, the thing too, is when I was experiencing all of this, I knew I was a victim. Like I knew, I didn't, you know, I didn't feel, even though I was married to this person, there was no Stockholm syndrome. There was no, oh, I want to love this person and be with, the, I hated him for doing this to me. And I was scared. There was even a point, you know, he opened the front door to the apartment that he was trafficking me out of. And he said, leave, if you want to go leave, if you hate it so much. 
and I started a walk out and then I stopped and I went where because he knew that I didn't think I had anywhere to go he you know I there would have been plenty of people that have helped me um, but there was a lot of things that happened and major you know he did what a lot of domestic violence partners do not just traffickers where he separated me from my family and support system and I was very naive and young and had no education on what my options were. Um, I didn't even know what a rape kit was. I didn't know what would happen if I called 911, you know? So a lot of those things, I knew I was a victim. I didn't know what I was a victim of. I didn't know that's, I was being trafficked, you know? And like, I grew up, you know, like pretty woman, that's prostitution. I was never walking the streets. I was never right. in cars with strangers. Trafficking is, you know, that kid in another country chained to a radiator. That's not what it looked like for me, you know? So I knew I was a victim. I just didn't know what my options were and um, was definitely terrified of this person. And I think you, you bring up a really good point with domestic violence is that, you know, there's probably women who are listening or anybody that's listening to this, who you think about. And, and I used to, and I used to think the same way because I'm a victim of domestic violence. My first husband tried to kill me. So when people are like, well, why didn't you just leave? Well, where did, why didn't you just go somewhere? Because people who are predators like this, they use, they exploit your weaknesses and they exploit the good things in you and use them against you. It's like that when you're, when you are involved with somebody who's very narcissistic is they find the finest qualities that you have and then use them to groom you to think that, sure, yeah, you can leave. Nobody's going to want you after this. Nobody's going to love you what you're just a piece of shit. So who's going to want you after this? I mean, look at what you're doing, mm -hmm. even though you weren't doing it. It's look at what you were doing. Right. So people who do you get a lot of people that say, well, Jenna, why the hell didn't you just leave? Why didn't you walk out the door? Yeah. When I first started sharing my story, I got that question and I, it bothered me so much and I couldn't figure out, like I would get in my car and I'd just be like pissed off. I'm like, why is that pissing me off so much? <laughs> I realized that even if they had the best intentions by asking that, or just out of curiosity, what I was hearing was you should have, you should have called 911, you should have left. So you stayed there and you must have not been that bad because, and, or whatever. And I'm like, I would get angry and I'd feel like I'd have to defend myself for a crime that was committed against me when the blame yeah. was to my, that person that did all this and those people that did this. And that's not my fault, you know? And and, and the whole psychological thing of why didn't you run? I was a young 17, just turned 18 year old girl that should was still in high school. Like I hadn't even graduated and uh, I needed the adults. The question that we should have been asking was where was everybody in that community? Because that's what I needed was an adult to step into my life. When I dropped out of high school, you know, here you have this girl that's headed to play college volleyball. She drops out and is off with this guy where were the adults in my life going, hey, what's going on? This doesn't seem right. Why yeah. was there no intervention? Why was there nobody stepping in? And yeah. for me, what it felt like was now that I'm not the star athlete anymore and I'm making poor choices, now I don't matter. Now you don't care about me. When I needed, you know, what I experienced could have been prevented um, if somebody had stepped in. I think that that's another really good point that needs to be brought up is that you were a star athlete. You were headed off. You were going to go probably to a D1 school and, and play volleyball. How many girls, young girls who are labeled as bad, quote unquote, bad in high school, they're withdrawn, they're angry. And yeah, teenage girls, 
there, I have a teenage girl or I had a teenage girl and they, we are not the easiest when we are teenagers. I mean, we're women now. We're not really nice when we're teenagers. However, I think it's so important what you're doing, training people to see the signs yeah. because people you withdrew and you're with this boy and you know, oh, I just can't get through to her. She won't listen to me. There's certain signs that there's so many young girls that are ending up. And like with me, I had no idea. That's why I was so excited to have you on here today. I had no idea because I had that preconceived notion that you probably got kidnapped at the mall at the age of 17 and were sold into sex slavery. I had no idea. So I'm so glad that you said that, that we need to, as adults, be more cognizant of the behavior of children. So what are some of the signs that, for the people that are listening, what are some of the first signs that they can really, that are kind of glaringly obvious? And then what are some of the more subtle signs? It is a lot like domestic violence victim, where if you see a girl that's being trafficked and if she's with her trafficker, he'll often be answering the questions. He'll be in control of the conversation. Um, she won't make eye contact. She'll kind of look down. But also there can be an attitude of, no, this is my man and this is what we do. She's still a victim too. You know, various stages of bruising, multiple cell phones, all of a sudden, you know, they're in regular clothes and then they're very wearing very expensive clothes and have their nails done. And then like, there's, you can see where, where is all this money coming from? There's changes in behavior. My physical experience, I mean, my physical, what I looked like completely changed. Just not in the sense of, you know, he wasn't forcing me to dress up in a mini skirt and high heels and walk down the street. But I was this buff athlete. Like I was very, you know, I'd been lifting weights since I was 12. And all of a sudden I was like hundred pounds and my hair was falling out in clumps. Um, mm-hmm. And I was acting kind of erratic, like somebody that, had, you know, that was not okay. Another thing too, is I was branded. Um, so like when I went to the doctors, if they had seen this, if they had been trained on this and educated on this, like, hmm, that's a sign, maybe something's off with this girl, which a branding is something, it's a tattoo that a trafficker often puts on their victim to kind of take ownership of them and claim them that that's theirs. But then it can also look so different too. It could be, you know, you could have like, say for kids at school, it could be the girl that shows up all of a sudden she has two cell phones and she has her nails done and all that. Or it could be a homeless kid that is being trafficked in the homeless camp that doesn't show up with any money or anything. Um, So really just signs of somebody that's being abused and controlled by somebody. Mm. Yeah, that's, it's amazing what stress will do to our bodies. Like you lose the weight and your hair is falling out and you're acting erratic. Most people, the first thing that I think of is being a recovering addict and alcoholic. The first thing I think of is, dude, she looks like she's on crack. Oh my God, she's a drug addict you know, you, you lost all this weight, your hair is falling out. So, oh my God, well, she's on drugs. Here's, here it goes. Here goes Jenna. There goes Jenna. And they adults make excuses for what are obvious. Well, not obvious signs, but these signs that you're crying out. And even though you are vocally not saying anything physically, you are saying somebody see that something is wrong with me and somebody please say something to me so that I can feel like I'm heard. Did you, was that one of the things that was the most challenging? You just didn't feel like you were heard? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, and you know, I worked normal jobs during the day. Like I was living a normal life. You, if, that's the thing is like, I, you know, in that community in Southern California, 
I, you probably stood next to me in the grocery store line, or you probably came to the boutique I worked at and bought clothes from me. And I feel like I would often, you know, I've had conversations with some of those people that like I worked for this lady at a boutique and she would always ask me, are you okay? She recognized that something was off and not okay with me. And I mean, and I would say, she said, what could I have done? Like, what could I have sent to you? And I said, maybe if you asked me, are you safe? Because that would have triggered like, oh, she knows something. Can I tell her? And then the next thing would have been, hey, if something was going on, I can help you. And I can get, there are people that will help you. Like I had no idea, you know, their option. I mean, this was 2006. So there's way more now, but there was still, I didn't know there were safe houses. I didn't know that the police were on my side. I didn't know you know, that my family, I did end up going back to my family, but until I had a phone call with one of my big sisters and she said, you know, you can come home, Jenna, that didn't occur to me. I'm like, oh, I can, you know? So just really that, that education of, hey, there are people that will keep you safe and that will help you. Um, that would have been game changer. Cause I, I did want that help, you know? And I think that it's that front. I, it reminds me, I don't, it's so funny how the universe works. I was playing around on my cell phone. And I came across that clip from Grey's Anatomy uh-huh. where the girl was in the ER and she was being trafficked and the guy was answering her questions and wouldn't let her speak. And, you know, they, the, the doctor eventually got him away, said she had to have some kind of a different test that he couldn't be in the room for. And he fought the whole time and she was doing the same thing. No, this is my man. This is, you know, I want him to be here, but at the same time, she wouldn't look at anybody. And they got her into a room. And even in that room, she's like, no, I'm fine. I want to go back. He's, he, he needs me. He needs me. And then finally she just pulled down her shirt and she had the brand on her shoulder and the nurse was smart enough. Well, I mean, it was in, in a show, but smart enough to see that and understand that it was a brand and then able to get her away from him. How did you get away? Like, I mean, I'm floored, like, and please forgive me for my ignorance of like you went to work, you had a job, you went to the grocery store. So you were out and about on your own mm-hmm. and, and you, and you still went back. Yeah. That, that amount of control that one person can have over another is absolutely incredible. And the last thing that people need is to be victim shamed because I mean, how many times do you hear rape victims you know, oh, well, if you wouldn't have been wearing that, that wouldn't have happened to you. It's not, it's not about victim shaming. It's about understanding the mental thought process. So when you went to work and you were ready to go home, how did you feel knowing that you had to go back to that? It was gut-wrenching every time. Just, I mean, and I didn't know, you know, he didn't, he didn't sell me every night or every weekend, which in some ways, almost made it worse in the sense that I never knew when it was going to happen. So mm. like a couple of weeks could go by and things were, you know, somewhat normal. And then there would be a knock at the door and I'd freeze like, is this, and there was, I would be, he was involved in a lot of criminal activity. So I was used to strange men coming to the door all the time. And I never knew if that was a night that I was going to be raped, you know, and I shared that part where he opened the front door and I started to walk out and then I walked right back into my trafficking situation, not knowing where else, where could I go? Another example is, you know, I had a weight trainer since I was 12 years old to help me train for volleyball. There was one time that my trafficker was driving and I was in the passenger seat and we pulled up at a stoplight and that weight trainer pulled up at the light next to us. And most people would think I would jump out of that car and grab him and say, help me, hug me. You know, this is happening. Do something for me. 
And instead, what I did was I knelt back into the seat so he wouldn't see me because I was so ashamed of how I looked that I was, he saw me as this buff athlete, this confident girl. And now I was the skinny, scrawny girl that was being abused. And it was like too much. I couldn't, I didn't want him to see me that way. I didn't want him to feel disappointed in me. And that was one of the things that my trafficker used a lot. You're such a loser. You dropped out of high school. You didn't go play college volleyball. Like, what are you now? Nothing. And then add on the shame of being raped and trafficked. You know, I didn't want to face my community. I didn't want them to think badly of me, especially at the age I was where I was very impressionable and wanted to, um, you know, very much please people. And that's, um, you know, yeah, a lot of people would think why, you know, you were out, you were driving, you were doing things. Why would you go back to that? It is not that I didn't want to. It does not mean that it was it was not a fun experience. It was not fun to be raped. It was not fun to be abused and treated that way. I just was so um, scared and unsure of what would happen to me, what he would do to me. And when I left him and got away from him, I called his his stepdad and his mom. Um, and these were people in the community. You know, his stepdad, he was a pastor and a chief in the Navy. His mom was a successful business owner. And I called my dad and I wanted to meet at the church and because I wanted to ask for a divorce. I wanted to get away. All I said during that meeting, I did not share some of the things that he was doing to me. I said, you know, he's growing marijuana and selling it out of the apartment. And to them, they were like, oh, I get why you don't want to be with them. That was enough. And I was like, God, if you only knew what he was really doing to me. And I promised him that I would never tell anybody. And I, I think he thought I would like, he, he's like, oh, she'll never tell anybody what I did. Um, and I felt very defeated after that doctor's appointment because I really wanted help, but I just didn't know. I'm like, is anybody even going to believe me? Is there, you know, what is, you know, so I was just, yeah, scared. That was the main feeling that I felt. Um, and then once I started to just live life, I was like, I just want to move past this. I don't even want to talk about this again. I don't want anybody to ever know anything. Mm -hmm. I, I, I identify that on, I, in a, on a deep level. And I think that what was my questions, what was the linchpin that made you leave? What was the one thing that was the, I'm gone. What was that? It was the last time that I was sold. He had always trafficked me out of the apartment. And this time he had taken me to a motel which scared me because that felt like what's next? How far is he going to take it? Is this never going to stop? Um, is he going to take me to, you know, other um, states? Is he going to start moving me? Around? Like, what is this? Where is this going? And all of the rapes were horrific, but um, this one in particular, it was the first time that I experienced a beating. It was the first time that I was raped in ways I didn't know people could be. And I remember after the buyer left in the morning, I looked in the mirror in that motel room and I just didn't even recognize myself. And I just broke down crying. And I'm like, I have to get away. One of the things I wanted before getting away with, from him was my GED. And I reached out to my sixth grade teacher who was, she always kind of kept in touch with me. One of my favorite teachers. This just shows the impact that teachers can have on kids' life. And I would go over to her house and she would help me study for my GED. And little did she know that she was helping me escape my trafficker by doing that. And I got my GED while being trafficked, which felt like getting my PhD, like to be experiencing that kind of trauma and to get that, you know, it felt like, and that gave me the confidence, like, wow, maybe I can do things. What, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go off and play college volleyball. What, what is my life going to be now? You know? So, wow. 
So, um, <clears throat> hmm. I've, I have also, I've been raped, not to that extent, but um, I, I get that. And I think that there is that linchpin. There is that moment that you think either I'm going to die or I'm going to get help. And when you start the journey and then there's that, well, what did you do? How did this happen? And the victim shaming starts. And then you have this PTSD and then you just shove it down and shove it down and shove it down. Once you started your journey of healing, how has that impacted you to create your foundation and with what you're doing now, how has that journey been as far as healing and for you to be able to do what you're doing now? You know, I think it comes down to um, that fight that I had to survive. You know, everything I did was really to, was what I thought I had to do to survive that carries into my work now. Um, and there was a moment when I was living in that, you know, one bedroom apartment with my son in the ghetto after going through my divorce with his dad, just working three jobs and like, oh, it was not fun. That was not fun time in my life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what I, mean. I remember those times where you're hunting in the couch just to find enough change so that you can add some meat to your cheeseburger, yeah. hamburger helper that you got it for a dollar. You're like, Shit, there's got to be more change in here. I've got to be able to get. Yeah, let me put that like $5 in my tank so I can get to work so I can try to, you know, figure out how I'm going to get through the next two weeks. And um, Oh God. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. I remember after three years of doing that, I thought, God, there has to be more like this has, there's got to be more to this. When I was in that hospital, you know, even though I was dealing with my own shit, like there was women there that. I would sit and have these amazing conversations with and that it kind of clicked there like a little bit like I was like hmm maybe I can someday help girls like maybe maybe that's why like I'm you know maybe that's something I can do with this another thing that, that happened in the hospital was they had me write down my story and they said write it all out everything you can remember since you were born which I think everybody should do right we all go through traumas and hard things in our lives and what it did was it put everything into perspective for me. Like my trafficking experience was this much of my story and I still had my whole life to live. And I was like, hmm, like it made me have that bird's eye view on my life. And after I wrote down my story, I closed that journal and I put book question mark and that book is going to be published soon, right? Oh, so, I'm so proud of you. Yes. And what a journey that's been. <laughs> um, but when I was down there and, you know, living in that apartment and struggling, I was like that, it really just came down to, I was exhausted. I just was like, there's gotta be more. And, you know, we talk about, we hear these phrases like leap of faith. This was a huge leap of faith because I, there was a place here in Northern California on my family's ranch that opened up and I was like, hmm, maybe I'll move there and I can do this work somehow. I had no job lined up. I had no connections. I didn't even know there was this human trafficking movement. I had never even met another human trafficking survivor. I just had my story and the eagerness to help somehow. Um, and I packed everything I owned into a horse trailer and moved here. By the time I moved here, my bank account was negative with the last bit of gas, you know, 
And then I sat here and cried for like six months and was like, what did I do? I have no idea. And right. I started speaking. Like I would walk into places and be like, hi, I'm Jenna. You want to hear my story? And I, which led to finding a speech coach, which led to giving keynote speeches and getting paid for my speaking, which led to training and, and then starting the foundation and wanting to help girls. And, um, you know, this last May, I, I spoke at the United Nations and wow, little did I know that's when you know you have a calling on your life when things happen and there's it's putting purpose to all that pain that that's how I just know that I didn't survive that for nothing that this is this was for me to make some kind of difference even if it's in just one person's life so oh do you think that now this is this is how I look back I look at the things that happened to me in my life and when I look at them, I don't look at them as the things that happened to me. I look at the things that happened for me because if no matter how shitty they were, no matter how bad they were, if I didn't go through that, I wouldn't be the woman that I am now. And I think I'm pretty badass. Looking back, do you look at this as it happened for you to give you this path, to give you this journey that you're on now? It definitely feels that way. And not just for the work I get to do, but for who I am. Like, I like who I am. And I don't know, you know, if I had gone off and played volleyball and got the degree and, and had the white picket fence and the happily ever, ever after, you know, I might've been an okay person, but I don't know if I would have been a, such a person with the compassion for people that are hurting, just a different outlook on life of this is it. This is my one shot and I want to live it and I want to enjoy it. And I want to make a difference. I don't know if that would have been in me if I hadn't experienced all the things that I did. So how I, this question just came to me. So your son is 11. Yes. And now your story is out. How has it impacted him knowing what his father did to his mother? So it's actually wasn't his dad that did it to me. Yeah. So it was, you know, and thankfully we have a good co-parenting relationship now. Um, But he does know that bad things. So it actually came about in a very organic way when he was like six, I have a few tattoos and one of them is my branding, but it's covered up. It's faded some. So if you look closely, you can see the other tattoo underneath it. And he was about six years old and he's looking closely at it. And he asked, he said, what are those letters underneath? And I was like, oh my God, I'm not ready for this conversation. (laughs) And I was like, but I've always been just very honest with him and whatever his little brain can understand. And so I just said, before your daddy, there was somebody that did really bad things to mommy. And that's why that's there. And he just kind of went, okay, and went back to playing yeah. with his Legos. And I went, whoo, dodge that, you know. <laughs> yeah, because those, those questions come up. It's like the, it's like the, the birds and the bees talk. You're like, oh, I'm not ready for this, yeah. especially <laughs> being a single mom. I was a single mom. You're like, so Mr. Happy goes and visits his friend and he gets really happy and he throws up. That's, that's <laughs> the gist of it. That's, that's, the way to put it. <laughs> that's, that's how you, that's the birds and the bees story. You're welcome, Malcolm. Yeah. Um, and it yeah. just dawned on me, like, of course he was not the, the father. Do you think it makes you a better parent to be able to share this with him and know that you have the ability to guide him and be a better man? Yes. Yeah. So, well, and going back to that. So after he went back to playing with his Legos, then he sat there for a minute and then he looked up at me and said, so that's why you help the sad girls now. 
And I said, yeah, like he connected that. And then more recently now, you know, he's just turned 11. I've had conversations because he knows he's like, you know, what do you train police on? And I say, human trafficking, what is that? And I explained to him, you know, what it is and that there's, you know, and we have talks about, you know, him talking to strangers online and things like that. Like, and uh, he actually recently, we were having a conversation about it and he goes, so that slavery still exists. And I had never used that word, even though it often is in the human trafficking world, modern day slavery is what mm-hmm. it's called. And it blew my mind. I was so proud of him in that moment. I said, yes, son, slavery still exists. It just looks a little different than the way it did back then. And the fact that he understood that human trafficking is slavery was, I was like, yes. Like, um, and I think uh. it's important. I mean, he might be the only kid at his school that knows about human trafficking, but he knows you don't buy girls. And when he was born, you know, it wasn't until two years later that I had my breakdown and came out and got help. And I remember being in that recovery room with him, holding him. And I thought, if I never tell anybody what really happened to me, I'll make the change through you. Because that's really where it starts at home. That all I want, I don't care what he becomes. You can be an astronaut. You can be the garbage man. As long as you are a good, kind man that cares and you treat women well you will make me so proud son. And, um, it does affect, it definitely affects my parenting in that way. Yeah. And I think it's important too, to, to, to share that women aren't the only ones that are trafficked. Yeah. Right. Boys are trafficked and and it's not just men that are traffickers that women traffic and mothers traffic their children. And it's, it's anybody. Yeah. Which is, Oh, which as a, as a mom, it just, it just rips my heart out thinking of it. And I can't even imagine the amount of trauma that the people who are the traffickers have been through to be able to do that to another human being. Did you ever bring him to justice? No, he, um, he actually died when I was pregnant with my son, I found out he died, which, you know, it's funny too. When I share my story, I've gotten questions around that too. Like, didn't you feel justice or aren't you glad he's gone or, and, you know, I think it's up to every victim how they feel in that kind of circumstance. For me, I was pissed. I was angry because I, my first thought, there was two thoughts that went through my mind when I found out he died. One was, now no one will ever really know. Like, that's what I thought. Like, oh, there's no, now, now I'm really stuck with this. The next was his funeral. And, you know, at funerals, people get up and talk about this person and say wonderful things about him. And that, the thought of that just filled me with so much anger, like, Oh, like I wanted people to know who he really was because he put on this front of uh, this funny, nice guy. There was very dark side to him. And, uh, you know, that, that really kind of was what, you know, that was one of the things that really started my journey to healing because I had to learn how to forgive somebody that I couldn't look in the eye and say, I forgive you. Um, not that, you know, this doesn't make it okay you're, I'm free of you. You don't have control of my life anymore, you know? And I think that that is one thing that forgiveness, people don't understand that forgiveness isn't for them. It's, it's for us. It's, it's that I'm going to let go of this hot coal because this hot coal of rage is burning me and you're just off oblivious doing your own damn thing. And I'm sitting here suffering and being able to let that go and let the cool air hit your skin and understand that you're free, that, that, that person, that situation, that whole thing no longer is in control of your life. 
Yeah. And it feels like justice in other ways. Like I get my own justice. Like when I, you know, speak at the UN or when I sign something or I give a training and that cop helps that girl and, 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 you know, whatever, that's my own little, like, uh, like F you, this is, I'm doing this now. And you're, you know, it's that, <laughs> it does feel empowering in that way. That's amazing. So now I guess that you travel all over. Obviously you traveled to do the, the UN speech. What an amazing experience that must've been. Well, unfortunately it was online because of COVID. Right. Definitely still amazing. Um, yeah. And something that was cool about it being online, uh, you know, I have a horse and, a, and, you know, we bred her, she has a baby and I was out feeding that morning. And since it was online, I got dressed up from the top up, but on the bottom, I left my Wranglers and boots on and I'm like, I might be the only person to speak at the UN in her Wranglers and cowboy boots. <laughs> oh my God, that is phenomenal. Yep, it's like uh, Morgan from home today, pants are optional. Yeah. <laughs> you're on a Zoom, you're like, do I have pants on or don't I have pants yeah. on? <laughs> so, oh my gosh, I Jenna, I am just so grateful for you and to be able to, share your story and to, and number one, that you're here, that you did survive, that you are here, that you are a wonderful mom raising a young man that respects and honors and treasures women and will, you know, stand up for them. I have a question for you. For the person who's listening to this, who might be in that situation, whether it's domestic violence or if it's in human trafficking or labor trafficking, which reminds me after this, before actually before I ask the question, what is labor trafficking? So trafficking in general is somebody being forced to have sex or do labor through force, fraud, and coercion. If they're under 18, force, fraud, and coercion don't have to be at play. They're automatically a victim of trafficking. Um, labor trafficking can be in any kind of workplace, really, hospitality, hotels, uh, construction, um, agriculture, nail salons, whatever it might be. Um, but if they're being forced to work there and possibly live there and they're not being paid or they're being paid very little, then that they're being exploited and trafficked. See, and that's something that another part that we could probably spend at least another hour on is, yeah. is the labor trafficking because people aren't that aware of it. So. Right. So the girl or the young man or whoever that's listening to this right now that is in that situation or might be in the beginnings or trying to get out of that situation and they just feel like, yeah, great, Jenna, you got out of it and that's, that's awesome, but uh, it's not the same for me. I, I don't think I can get out of it. What would you say to that person? couple different things. First of all, the human trafficking hotline, the number is 888-373-7888. And you can call that number anytime from anywhere and they will send help to you. That the things that I wanted to hear was there are people that will help you. There are. And it, it it's scary to take that step, but there will people that will keep you safe and that will help you and not just help you get out of that situation, but then the long journey of healing and then finding your way, you know, we have dreams before these kind of things happen to us. Now you, the dreams might change, but you can do them. And I understand, I mean, it starts with the little things like say, you know, you're in a, a safe house or whatever. If you just put a hundred percent into, say you're scrubbing the floor with a toothbrush or whatever the, your chore is that day, 
put a hundred percent into that. And that changes to a hundred percent into the next thing, which is a bigger thing, but start with the little things. And this is not something that defines you, whatever you've experienced, whatever you've done, whatever things you think are too horrible to ever share with another person, that is not who you are, that this is not your fault, that you can overcome this and whoever you want to be, it starts with the choice of doing it, taking that first step. And then every day after that, it's making that choice. Who do I want to be? And what do I want to do? And surrounding yourself with those people that will help you and you can do it. And I, you know, I felt hopeless many times. Um, There was times where I was on that floor crying, did not want to get up, did not want to live. Um, And when you push through that and you use that same strength that you use to survive all the horrible things, it's wonderful and it's beautiful. And it's not that every day is perfect. There's hard days, but it's worth it. And and you're worth it. And if I could look you in the eye and give you a hug and hold you and just say, (laughs) you know, I would, and you can do it. So. I love that answer. I ask that question to every single guest and I never, ever tell them what that question is. And I get a different answer every single time. So I'm so grateful for you. I am so amazed by your story and honored that you chose to spend this afternoon sharing your story with the people listening. How can people find you? Uh, Social media, Instagram is Jenna McKay. Um, Facebook is Jenna McKay Foundation. Um, McKay has an E at the end. I kept my ex-husband's name. So it's a pain in the ass. It has the E at the end. Uh, (laughs) And um, and then my website's jennamckay.com. And um, there's some information on there. And once the book is ready, you'll see it blasted all over those. So I hope. Awesome. Yeah. Well, once your book is published, I would be honored if you would come back and and share your journey about writing the book and and all that, if if you would like to come back. Yeah, I love that. I appreciate it. And you're so great. Thank you for, you're so fun to talk to. I liked you right away. I was like, oh, I can talk to this woman here. It might've been when I told you that, oh, don't worry, you can cut, you can have fun, you can let loose. (laughs) It's so funny because there's uh, one of the, somebody was like, oh, you know, Julie, you can sell your podcast to corporations for, you know, motivation and all that. And I was like, I don't think that when I drop the F bomb that they're really going to want to buy one of those blogs. <laughs> and then I thought, you know what, I am who I am and I don't ever want to change that. And I love having guests like you, that you are who you are. These things that happen for you in your life has created an incredible journey for you. And And I'm just so honored that you were here. Any last thoughts? You know, it really comes down to, I know I'm the, you know, human trafficking person, but it just comes down to humans. And uh, it it really is that thing where we all go through trials and traumas and hardships in our life. Um, I guess really just to be kind to each other because we never really know what somebody's going to. And I needed, there were times that people were kind to me when I was being exploited. And um, that made all the difference in my day because little did they know I was going home and being raped that night. And I, that stranger gave me a little bit of hope that there's some good in the world because I was experiencing the worst of people. So yeah, we could all, we could all use that. Yeah. Yeah. Smile at the stranger. Yeah. Take that minute to pause and realize that across from you is a human being that has feelings and thoughts and emotions. And you never know how being kind to someone can change their day. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Love it. Love it. 
Well, as you know, I am going to put all of Jenna's links so that you can find her friend, her follower in the show notes. So that means you actually have to go read them. So go read the show notes. That's where I type up everything about an episode. And remember that bad things are out there and bad things happen. It's how you respond to them and how you rise above them and find the people like your sixth grade teacher Find the people that you know that love you and honor you and cherish you and trust the process. And remember that no matter what, that you are enough. You were born enough. You are enough as you sit. You will always be enough. And if you could only see the divine light that shines back from your eyes, you would never, ever, ever doubt your greatness again. So until next week, my friends, enjoy, take care. And like Jenna said, just be kind to each other. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. I appreciate you. And remember, you are loved, you are treasured, you are adored, you are worthy, and you are so more than enough. I hope that you were inspired. And if you were, please feel free to download, share, and leave a comment. I would be eternally grateful. Thank you so much and have an absolutely magical day.